Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Howard Klein, who's a director at RK Equity. They are a consultancy advising lithium companies and helping them raise money. We talk about the macro market. Obviously, the EV revolution is a major part of that, but we also get into the weeds with regards to who is going to be funding the growth of this space. Uh, Miners are struggling. We talk about lithium brine versus hard rock versus clays. We also look at lithium uh, carbonate and lithium hydroxide and which markets those are going to work into. It's a really quite useful first introduction to lithium if for a beginner. And we hope to catch up with Howard in the following weeks. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, how are you doing, Howard? Very well, Matt. Nice to see you. Hey, well, thanks thanks for joining us. So Howard Klein of RK Equity, you are a lithium guy. Uh, you've got a newsletter and your firm advises a lot of lithium companies. So we were hoping you could share with us and our audience a little bit about the world of lithium, if you, if you don't mind. So uh, I'm going to start off with, first of all, so what's your background and you know what kind of what gives you the right to tell people about the world of lithium? Well, thanks, uh, Matt. My my background, I've uh, been talking and advising companies in the junior resource space for nearly 20 years. Um, so from my early 30s, prior to that, I researched, you know, sales, institutional equity sales at the uh, French bank, you know, Société Générale. You know, I'm an economics, politics, finance guy uh, by background. Uh, but uh, I really came to understand the junior mining game when someone introduced me to Robert Friedland in 2002, and he told me, you know, a story about a Mongolia copper, right? So um, that's how I kind of learned, you know, the junior mining, um, you know, space and the ups and downs, you know, that can can occur, you know, for big discoveries, you know, and the like. So for the past 20 years, I've represented copper companies, gold, you know, coal, iron ore, you know, and many other um, uh, companies. We had a big success with a, a gold company that was actually part of the Ivanhoe stable. It was called Jinshan Gold Mines. The CEO of that company was Jay Shemalaskis. That was sold in 2009, you know, and then he turned his mind to um, lithium and uh, Western lithium. So I've been doing lithium since 2009. And for the first, so about more than 10 years now, and for the first seven of those 10 years, the only uh, story I really told was what is now called Thacker Pass, but was, you know, Western Lithium, you know, and I advised them, you know, through the merger with Lithium Americas, you know, and also when SQM kind of came in. And uh, so there was a boom in Lithium in 2009 to 2011, you know, under the Obama administration, um, you know, and the China stimulus, uh, you know, the, the it was a bit of a false start. You had the Nissan Leaf and you had the Chevy Bolt, but there was, I call that period, you know, lithium 1.0. Uh, and then the 2012 to kind of 14, 15 period, it, there was a big lull, but with the Tesla Gigafactory, uh, one in, in Nevada coming up in 2014, and then, you know, into 15 and 16, you started this lithium 2.0 boom, you know, and around that time, Western Lithium merged with Lithium Americas, SQM came in, you know, then Ganfin came in. That was a huge success. And there was, you know, this, this boom period from 20, 
I guess, late 2015, but more 2016, 17, where, uh, you know, Argentina stories, Western Australian stories all uh, became very interesting. And because I was one of the few in the, in the space, we started advising many, many other companies um, you know, during that period. Okay, so great explanation of the sort of recent history of, of lithium. And it's no wonder today that people looking at commodities are confused when they talk about lithium. It, I think it did, as you say, did quite well. What, 2016, 17 um, was the last spike I recognized. I know we invested then, you know, got in, got out. Um, but with this huge EV thematic, okay, everyone's talking about, you know, the, all cars are going to be electric in some way, shape or form, either partially or fully. People see lithium as a big part of, of the, you know, the, the battery revolution, but it's just not happening at the moment. So for investors, I think it's important for them to sort of maybe understand how, you know, you've explained, you know, um, version 1.0, 2.0, and I guess we're currently in 3.0. For investors, you know, what should they be focusing on in terms of the macro story, you know, the macroeconomics? They should be looking at uh, EV sales and uh, the success of uh, Tesla and other companies that will be rolling out models over the course of the next uh, year and two years. They should look at policies uh, that are being implemented and uh, Europe in particular has um, become very uh, much uh, you know, behind this this theme. So post Dieselgate, um, with Volkswagen in particular leading the charge, uh, you, you have very major penalties. You know, being implemented for uh, you know emissions. You know, from Europe. So it's policy driven. Um, and there was a question with COVID. You know, how uh, you know might they be a bit more lenient in Europe? Might they be a bit more lenient in China? respect to pollution standards but the reverse has actually happened in the last you know couple of weeks it's it's become clear that uh, covid actually might be an accelerant uh in the chinese market and in the uh european market the u.s market is obviously a huge one and there's a lot of uncertainty from a, a policy perspective um but you have the most successful company in tesla and they're a global company. Their, their biggest success, it seems now, is in China, but they're going to be building factories in Europe. Battery costs are coming down a lot, so you know you should be watching for uh, you know policy, sales, um, you, you know, and, and and cost of of vehicles, you know, in comparison to you know internal combustion engine vehicles. Okay, I, I buy all of that. Well, I certainly bought all of that before COVID came along. You talked about COVID being an accelerant, but it, it's, it could also be a deterrent because people have never experienced anything like this. And I think there's, uh, mac, uh, there's some uh, economic studies showing that perhaps people would be reluctant to make major purchases after the COVID period. And in fact, that could be a, have an impact. We're talking a delay of maybe two, three years. I'm not saying that electric cars aren't coming because there's, you know, I'm looking down the list here, you've got Audi spending 12 billion euros, BMW 10 billion, Hyundai 17 billion, you know, Ford 11 billion dollars. There's billions and billions of dollars. I think something like 300 billion dollars of infrastructure being built by automotive car, uh, manufacturers around the world. So it's coming. But do you feel or do, would you agree that there could be a delay to the take up of electric vehicles, either fully electric or partially? 
look, we're in a global recession and uh, a car purchase is a durable good. So it is discretionary. Absolutely. Uh, car sales broadly, um, you can put it off. You know, I'd put it off. So from a 2020 purchase perspective, yeah, we might have uh, we, highly likely to have a delay. And, and my partner, Rodney, who, who forecast, you know, kind of lithium demand and, and other uh, analysts who forecast lithium demand are, are, are talking kind of like flat growth in 2020, whereas we've been talking 15 to 20 percent as far as the eye can see. And that's 100 percent based on, um, you know, a slowdown in um, you know, overall car sales, which should impact, you know, EV sales. So that's that's now consensus, right? You know, that could change, though, because we're coming out of uh, COVID now and, you know, numbers out of the U.S. in terms of, you know, unemployment and um, Europe and, and China are back to work. So, so and EVs relative to ICE vehicles are actually holding up a, a lot better, uh, you know, overall. So I think, yes, 2020 is going to be not great, but we're already in the middle of 2020. So markets are forward looking and they're looking at the 2021, two, three. And I don't believe that 2022 or three or, or beyond are worse. They're probably better. The question is, you know, where's 2021? Um, and then if you think about it from a, I'm a, if I'm a lithium investor perspective, when, when do I want to get in? Right. You know, and a lot of that's been price dependent, right. It's followed, you know, what the prices in China. And so commodities and lithium, we could debate commodities, specialty chemical, et cetera, but it has traded like a cyclical right. commodity w w without a very transparent, you know, price. Uh, so we'll see. The markets rebounded quite strongly just in the past week without prices reacting. So it's uh, right. Um, but it, but it, but it, and it's getting on something that I do want to ask you about. So I, I think we, we'd both agree we're in violent agreement. It's a case of when, not if. OK, but we, I, it's people are interested in what the psychology, the of to, you know, the buying mentality will be of COVID on large ticket items. I think we're agreeing there will be one it's a question of how quickly that recovers okay but we'll, we'll park that because we don't know no one knows um what it does have an influence on is the ability for lithium companies to get finance we've interviewed several uh lithium companies recently they're all struggling for one reason or other one because spot price is you know not where they want it to or need it to be but two the the funders the institutions uh the, the banks don't yet have sight of where the market's going to be. So they're struggling to get financing. I mean, what are you seeing in the market with regards to that? Because that's some companies are frozen until that funding comes in place. There are not that many companies that are ready to be fully funded, right? So they have permitted DFS levels. So you, you need to break the market into those companies and those that are in, you know, kind of exploration uh, or advanced development stage. In the exploration and advanced development stage, you have seen financings. I've seen some people who have been on your show, like, uh, you know, Plateau Energy was on fumes. They had no money, but they managed to find, you know, 3.6 million, you know, Canadian. Um, you know, Standard Lithium raised money, you know, earlier this year. So the availability of capital is is there for quality 
projects in a, in a small way. Um, the big test will be uh, w w this time next year, there's going to be a number of projects that are ready to be fully funded. Um, the, the, uh, we've had some failures, obviously, um, companies in the prior cycle like Namaska that um, got funded and now are kind of going through a bankruptcy process. But companies like Bacanora and your uh, whatever listed in, in London, uh, that full funding didn't get off. Uh, it was meant to be like right after um, Namaska two years ago, but now they have a partner in Ganfeng. You know that's been slowed a bit because of um, you know COVID nineteen. But so they're they were supposed to be fully funding like around now. It now seems like that'll be pushed to later this year or early next year, uh, and we'll see where where the market is. You know at at that. Point. You know, with Ganfing as a partner, I think that that project, you know, has a good chance of, of getting funded. Um, and there are several other kind of U.S. companies, projects that are advancing to definitive feasibility study. And we'll see where we are, um, you know, in nine or 12 months. I think the market's perking up already. And um, so uh, capital is available. You know, quality of project matters um, and, and narratives are shifting. Right. So perceptions about um, locations and styles of deposit, you know, are, are evolving. So good projects, good managements um, are are getting funded. So I, I the valuations are unfortunately and the dilution that they're maybe forced to take is is not what they might have hoped for. Um, but. You know, if, if you're talking about raising five, ten, twenty million dollars, it's painful to kind of take that dilution. The, the big question is when you need to raise, you know, five hundred million dollars, will valuations be there? Um, you know, and will partnerships be there to, to, to you know, um, reward uh, the minority shareholders in, in, in the in the public companies who have been, you know, involved with them in some cases for. A few years. Okay, so let's break that down a bit. So if I come back to what you said about expiration companies, you're saying some expiration companies are being financed two, three, you know, four million bucks, but that's just to kind of keep the lights on and move the project forward at a at a reduced pace because again, the spot price isn't there in the market. People who fund these things can't; they don't have sight of where the, when this is going to change, when things are going to move. And we will get on and talk about your estimation about, because uh, you wrote a piece for us, which is, you know, we, we've, it's actually on our site at cruxinvestor.com. People should look at that. It's been really, really well received. Um, but, you, you know, you've made some estimates about, you know, how many new, uh, with this, the scale that we're going to have to ramp up at. So we'll get on to that. But exploration companies today, just keeping the lights on, and, and it's a question of, do you take the money you need to actually advance it at pace? Or what seems to be happening is they're taking enough money to do the bare minimum, cover the G&A, their you know, required uh, spend, and no more. Partly because they don't want to be diluted, I guess. But that doesn't sound very healthy for the industry at the moment. Would, would you agree? I guess, yes. Some of the companies that you talked about, like Plateau or, or maybe some others that are just raising two or three million dollars, uh, they're earlier, much earlier stage projects. I, I would demarcate, you know, exploration to advanced development. So there are many companies that uh, raised 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars um, so far. Uh, may need to raise a little bit more before you're ready to fully fund any lithium project. and ballpark any lithium projects of of um, 
of size is going to be a, a four to five hundred million dollar capex. You typically need to raise fifty to sixty million dollars before you need to raise that five hundred million. So, in the case of a company raising two or three million dollars just to keep the lights on, that might be, you know, they still probably have thirty or forty million ahead of them. In other cases that are where they've already raised thirty or forty, and now they're going to raise, you know, ten or twenty. Um, that's not just to keep the lights on. That's to actually get through definitive feasibility study and, and permitting uh, and advancing the project to, to as, as much as they can keep to their time schedule. But look, there's no you don't have to rush to be first here. Right. You know, this market is going to be big for, uh, you know, uh, many, many years and um, smart management. You know, the capital structure is critical in this industry. It's underestimated, um, you know, a lot of the time. So being smart about how you build your capital structure, um, you know, preferably with equity financing. This is an industry where you do need partners and you do need off takes because battery spec material and the like, you know, that complicates things, but you want to be, um, you don't want to partner too soon or give away too much too soon. In the case of, I like Bacanora, but I think they gave away a lot of offtake and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, partnership equity, um, you know, a bit more cheaply. I think the same is true of, you know, Lithium Americas. So um, I'd be really careful, like the next wave of companies, you know, all equity structures um, with high quality, you know, good locations, um, they, they could wait. And if they've been smart, they did not get down to fumes and today have five or $10 million in the bank and could be choosy as to um, when they raise capital uh, and, and wait and okay. slow down their project if they need to. Well, let's look at some of the other things because I want to make this attractive to people you know, thinking of lithium because lithium has just not been loved for the last two or three years. Okay, but you, you mentioned the word and people are like not interested from funds down to retail, okay? So let's make this a bit more accessible. So you talked about some of the things that you should be looking for, but let's let's talk about the difference between uh, lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide, for instance. You know, do does that matter? Does, does affect what we're talking about? Do, do you should you be looking at hard rock versus brines? Which parts of the world should you be looking at? You know, should, should people be excited about Argentina at the moment or, or not? Give us a, so your rundown of what people should be looking at. I need to this. Those are all great questions. And uh, I think the lithium industry uh, uh, is highly nuanced and it's very niche and small and complex. But uh, I've, my mantra is, is KISS, you know, keep it simple, stupid. So there's a lot of discourse all over the place. You get like what you just said, carbon and hydroxide is it's relevant, but there's a lot of inside baseball kind of discourse within the you know, lithium, you know, you know, business, there's also a lot of different, I mean, the world of lithium historically has been broken down into hard rock and to brine, right? But now in the last few years, clay deposits and, you know, direct lithium extraction and whether those be geothermal or oil field or, you know, um, some other type. So, and each of the proponents of those types of deposits, you know, knock the others, right? So direct lithium extraction, people say, oh, you know, hard rock is, you know, less sustainable because you're, you know, whatever, roast it, right? And then the hard rock people are saying, you know, but it used to be 50-50, now it's 70-30, and you look at, you know, Australia to China, you know, this is, and Volkswagen and BMW are basically saying, this is what's most reliable, it's the easiest technology, you know, Albemarle is, um, 
you know, bet the biggest lithium company in the world has made the most significant investments there. So uh, because it's such a young industry and it's, it's so no, you, you say that you, so I've observed Matt, you know, that there's this universe of, um, you know, mining investor uh, universe, which you represent, which I know very well. And, you know, so these are the gold guys. These are the copper guys. So the the Eric Sprott's and, and the Rick rules and that they have this belief that, you know, SQM and the Atacama, uh, you know, is just an endless supply of cheap lithium and lithium's not rare. So they could just like ramp up supply. And that's absolutely not been the case. Right. But the detractors and I wrote it in my note. Right. So you have a lot of even Robert Friedland, a good friend of mine, um, was always warning me in 2016. He said, it's all going to end in tears because of this belief that SQM is just, you know, this godlike company that can, um, it, you know, t turn on the spigots. And SQM, you know, tells the market that they can do this. And it's just if you look at the last four years, they just have not been able to increase their production and the quality of that production has has declined. So they were a potash producer with lithium being a byproduct and they've never people don't know this, but they don't make battery grade hydroxide. Right. And battery grade hydroxide is um, what Tesla uses. It's what Volkswagen uses. It's, it's if you need range. Right. So you ask about hydroxide and carbonate. Yes, hydroxide is actually growing a lot faster than carbonate. Right. And especially from Western OEMs. And there's only three companies that produce it in size. And that's Albemarle, Ganfeng and, and Liven. So the companies that make carbonate, right, which are largely, you know, brine in South America are less in favor right today than they were a couple of years ago when the thought process was brines are cheaper than hard rock. OK, um, brines are actually not cheaper than hard rock to make hydroxide. They're also um, in worse jurisdictions. I mean, Argentina and South America have political risk. They have, you know, environmental, the technically challenging, uh, you know, brines are very, each brine is unique. So each brine requires, you know, different, you know, highly experienced, you know, scientists to kind of figure out how to, how to make, uh, you know, battery grade hydroxide or, or carbonate. And, you know, the recoveries are low, you know, 30 to 50%. So that's why there's interest in new technologies. You know, there are indigenous people's issues, there's water issues. So the, the, the narrative that the mining universe and, and also people like, you know, Paul Gate at Alliance Bernstein, you know, wrote the big short, um, you know, and, and Javier Martinez at, uh, um, at Morgan Stanley and others, okay, are, are just are treating this like a commodity um which it is in some ways it's cyclical but it's not in in that you know um the battery qualification period for an auto oem you know where they're guaranteeing a battery for eight to ten years it is it's not as simple as buying copper so the answer is argentina less in favor today for political reasons but also because brines are more complicated and challenged right and you look at aura cobre uh, you know, uh, four years, they're still, you know, not making battery grade, you know, uh, carbonate. Um, and, uh, you know, hard rock in Australia, you know, has been preferred. However, making chemicals in Australia has been tried by Tangshi and Kunana and Albemarle was planning it. So the, 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 the logic of having um, 
chemical plants close to Minemouth in Australia was a narrative in the last cycle. Um, and that's shifting a bit. You know, now they're talking about having um, chemicals closer to where the end users are going to be, where cathode and battery plants are. So this speaks well for European and U.S. Um, chemical uh, factories being built, as well as mines. Um, and we'll see the jury's still out on clay. The jury's still out on direct lithium extraction. There's been a lot of noise about both of them, um, but not a lot of investment dollars yet. Uh, you know, so um, the world is still very much hard rock kind of dominated. And again, as, as I said, Volkswagen and VW, I'm sorry, VW and BMW have contracted with Ganfeng, a Chinese company, you know, taking Australian rock processed in um, China. They're saying that's sustainable, right, and secure. I think in a post-COVID world, there's too much reliance on China. I think 80% of the hydroxide is passes through China in some way. That's not like long-term, that's not sustainable. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting stories in Europe and in US um, and, and some other geographies that are gonna gain much more attention, you know, in, in what is now yeah. lithium 3.0 cycle. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's interesting you described it as a fairly, fairly young um, market. I think you mean that in, in relation to the, the, the EV thematic role, because obviously lithium has been mined for a long time. I think, and again, in your notes, you write about you know, the US actually being a large producer of, of hard rock lithium. Um, can, we, can, we just, can we just talk about, so you're saying, you didn't answer the question because you said it's more nuanced than that. It's not a case of it's this or it's that. There are different scenarios where different projects will work. Um, I think if you're happy to come back on, we'd love to kind of dr drill down there and kind of get into the detail of, you know, the, that nuance, because um, we're trying to make this simple for people to work out which horse to bet on, because not everyone's going to win. I know there's a huge demand, but you've got to have management teams who know what they're doing and they're capable of you know, getting things into production or companies with assets that are going to be able to be economic um, you know, and get into production. So I'd love to talk to you about that. That at, that at another point. Um, can we just just finish off though? On given that you say that uh, you, you know your your belief um, about you know the, the the production side of things. You talk in your note here about po the possible need for I think it was like seventy five new chemical plants to actually meet the future demand. I mean that's significant. Who builds those? Who finances those? Because it's not the miners and it's not the automotive companies. So you're, you're right to go back to the nuance of this industry is complex, but to keep it very simple, you know, lithium today is a 300,000 ton of year market, right? That's a 3 billion market. Okay. And uh, if you believe as I do that lithium you know, penetrate or EV penetration will be, you know, 25%, or so in 2030 and then expand beyond that, you know, just looking at 2030, you know, the forecast is for 2 million tons of lithium. That's a 1.7 million ton increase. So that equates to, if you take an average size of a chemical plant of 20 or 25,000, you need 75 new plants to be built, right? Compared to maybe 15 or 20, you know, in operation today. 
that will require, you know, on the order of, let's say, 30 to $40 billion investment, the aggregate market cap of all the lithium companies I track is only $25 billion, right? So your question is, who builds that? That's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, the industry itself, the incumbents are, are not super well capitalized. So that's not, it, it can't just be them. A company called West Farmers, you know, came into Kidman, right? They're a 50 billion market cap company. So that's a type of company that will build a project. Um, but you'll need more, you know, so that's, I call them big chemical, right? So why wouldn't DuPont, why wouldn't, you know, BASF, why wouldn't, um, you know, some other chemical companies or big oil, you know, come into this sector? Why won't big tech, you know, come into the sector? I wrote like a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the Teslas talked about getting into mining because they understand, you know, this potential bottleneck. Uh, and, you know, it's not that crazy to think that Elon Musk is building rockets. You know, he has, you know, his boring company. He has, you know, solar, he has cars. Why couldn't he get into mining, right? So he might buy a mining company, right? And if he does, then Volkswagen is going to buy a mining company, you know, or buy a lithium mine. Um, it, it, so it's to be seen who does it. Uh, what's clear is that the traditional mining investor, right, at BlackRock, you know, in in London, you know, which played, you know, four or five of, of, the, of the lithium stocks, you know, uh, you know, and Paul Gates said, you know, big short, right, or the spot price. I mean, these guys uh, can't, they're not long-term money. That's the reality. So hedge funds and mutual funds are just, you can't, finance a business which requires four to five years to finance and and build and construct you know if your time horizon is two to three years and mutual funds and hedge funds are rewarded you know on, on a very short-term basis so you need long-term uh mentality money i mean i think it, it, what's frustrating for me is that uh you know you have this big disinvestment for fossil fuel push uh you know at major pension funds and and, and endowments and the like but they're not saying, okay, well, yeah, okay, well, divest of coal, but you should invest in lithium. So the, the investing in lithium is not happening. So it's one of my uh, things that I do is, is advocate, you know, with these impact investing, you know, ESG sustainable mentality investing to suddenly realize that you can't get any of your EVs and all your clean air and your solar and, and, and your wind, right? If you're not mining stuff out of the ground, right? So, uh, you can't be anti-mining, anti right? So you just need to be pro the right type of mining and chemical. And so, so money could come from major sovereign wealth funds. And you see a little bit like in Norway, you know, they've done some um, Nordic bonds, you know, for some of the lithium companies, but that was still very expensive capital. I mean, the Nordic bond is what, uh, you know, put Damascus into bankruptcy. So you don't, you know, so certain governments might fund it in the same way Northvolt, you know, got funded, maybe some EU um, subsidies of, of that type will come in, but will, you know, it's to be seen, but um, no one's panicked because people still think lithium's abundant because if you're, if you're an automaker, if you're, you know, a, a sovereign wealth manager and you hear a credible organization like Alliance Bernstein and Morgan Stanley telling you all the time, don't worry, lithium's abundant, you know, why is there a rush to act, right? So those guys are doing a huge disservice, right? There's a lot of misinformation but you know the next price spike everyone will be panicked and you know the money will flow
I think you're right. It is a case of we have to we have to wait and see. But it's, it seems very fragmented and disjointed in terms of the well, the, the joined up thinking required to get the whole ecosystem in place. I do like what you talked about earlier in terms of um, people are starting to think about the end to end footprint, the the you know that that ecosystem in which lithium is one part. There's no point in flying mining it in one continent, flying it to another, or boating it to another continent, uh, only for it to come straight back again. It's, it's, this joined up thinking is, is missing at the moment. Um, I'm intrigued to see how it all develops, but perhaps if you come back on, you can tell us all about various aspects of this space and maybe help people decipher how they work out, where they put their money, who to bet on, and when indeed the market turns. So. Appreciate your time, Howard, today. Um, and, you know, say hello to uh, Rodney as well, because it would be, uh, be good to have him on at some point, because I think he's, he's the technical one out of the both of you, isn't he? <laughs> he's more technical than I am, but, uh, yeah, look, uh, very happy to come back on, and we track on a monthly basis through our Mr. Market scoreboard, you know, every company that's in the space. So we're very much uh, tracking and figuring out which are, are the best horses to bet on. Okay, well, like I say, I will direct people, we'll put a link um, on the video here to the article which you've um, written for us. So I do appreciate that and, you know, I look forward to hearing more from you. I see you're being uh, sponsored by Piedmont today, are you? Get a uh, yeah, free well, shirt. <laughs> I figured that you're, you're always so well-dressed. I'm typically wearing like a concert t-shirt. Oh, uh, I'll just say to you, to, to promote your, uh, your, you're not a mug. I have my, um, you know, we'll send you on. Woodstock. Uh, to, to just stay, <laughs> okay. to stay within my team. Okay, we'll upgrade you. We'll get you a mug. <laughs> Howard, thanks so much for today. Really appreciate it. Learned a thing or two. Obviously, it says slightly opaque market. It's nuanced. We want to know more because it's sort of been sort of downtrodden for the last two, three years. And I say it's probably time for it to come out under the spotlight again. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.